Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Mary, did you know that your baby was heaven's perfect lamb? She had no idea her child would die for the sins of the world. Pastor Martin begins a new series, The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Today he discusses how Jesus was born to die. Let's listen as he dives deeper into the message. December is generally spoken of as being a season of giving. During this time, we find ourselves scurrying around and looking for the right gift. We're online and we're searching. We are uh, going about and we're looking for sales. Even Black Friday, there were those who were up early before the sun came up to get a deal or try to uh, take advantage of a sale in order to get a gift that they would give. Now, the reality is that most of these gifts are of a material nature, so therefore they don't have a life, uh, a lifelong or life-changing impact on those. But the reality of our series this month is that we're going to highlight, we're going to highlight this perfect gift that God gave, that he gave to mankind a gift that we can declare is truly a gift or the gift that keeps on giving. Now, today we're going to begin with a sermon titled, Born to Die. Now, every parent who's anxiously anticipated the coming of a child, the birth of that child, has spent time considering the life that will be. Spend time looking at or imagining uh, what accomplishments they'll accomplish. The potential that'll be realized in them. Some of the milestones in their life. The things that they will do or accomplish in their lifetime. And ultimately that time is spent truly indulging ourselves of the possibilities of life. However, I want to pose to you today that God the Father, our Heavenly Father, when He was anticipating the birth of His Son, yes, He, was, he, he considered how His Son would, would do all these miracles and, 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 and open blinded eyes and raise the dead. He, would, he certainly could uh, celebrate and be excited about all that his son would do in terms of proving and showing that there's an ability to live a perfect life. But today we want to look at the fact that God's greatest aspiration, as a parent has aspirations for their child, all the things that they're considering, it's not related to their death, but to their living, but God's greatest aspiration for his son outside of the miracles, outside of the perfect life, was that one day he was going to die. And so the reality is when we see here in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, that unto us a child is born, he, 
God is making this declaration through Isaiah, but he's not so much looking at the birth as he is focused on the death. Because in order for there to be a death, there must first be a birth. So we're going to talk about born to die and how Jesus was born to die, that, that he came, and yes, he lived a perfect life. He had an awesome, and even, even at a young age, uh, at 12 years old, when he, uh, they went in to, to the festival, and as his family was leaving, he was in the temple. And, they, and the parents were looking for him. They said, well, wh wh why would you do this? We, we've been looking for you for three days. Why would you do this? He says, but I, because I must be about my father's business. So that leads us to the first point of the day. Because yes, we recognize that the focus is on the death, but as I said already, there can't be a death without a birth. So let's first, our first point is that he was, we understand that uh, childbirth is a miracle in and of itself. Think about this one fact. Uh, how many in here can swim? And I'm not going to shame you. I just want to know if you can or not. If you say, listen, Pastor, I don't do water at all. Okay? So I'm assuming that the hands are not up that you, if you got in the water, you're going to frolic around and splash, but you're not going to try to go under. There's a reason for that, because in, in order to swim, you got to be able to hold your, and there's something about the water, and I can't swim, but something about being in the water and have all that water surrounding you and in your ears and around your nose that creates a great fear for us, right? But think about this. Every one of us came into this world swimming. A child spends its entire beginning in a swimming pool, right in the belly of his mother. But notice this, that we have been living, breathing for nine months in water, but once we go through the birth canal, you've got to hold your breath if in water. So the childbirthing process is a miracle in and of itself. However, point number one is, Jesus had a miraculous birth and it was an extraordinary occasion. Yes, 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 I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking how I stood there and watched my children come out. And, you know, you hear this, uh, if you've never gone through the experience, brothers, sure, we haven't. But we hear about water breaking. Our first, when Tidland came, I was at the grocery store. And I get a call. My wife said, but water just broke. And I was planning on stop, standing in the line to get, make a deposit and I had made it to the teller in the grocery store, and I get the call, and I tell the teller, I said, I'm not sure what to do because my wife just called 
and I don't know if I should leave this and go because the water broke. So the reality is, yes, that's a big deal. But Jesus had a miraculous birth that was just not the miracle of childbirth. It was an extraordinary occasion. Because it said, unto us a child is born, a son is given. Here's the thing. Every one of us sitting here, we are the result of a mother and a father coming together and a process begins and ultimately that, pro that, that coming together starts a process that ends after nine months. But in Jesus' case, he was born of a virgin. Here's the thing, in Isaiah chapter 7, a couple chapters earlier, verse 14, here's what the word says, therefore the Lord himself, this is, this is already being foretold, before we hear of the child coming, here's what it said, the Lord, for the, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That a virgin, because in our natural sense, we would believe that someone had lost it if they were a virgin and declared they were pregnant. Extraordinary event. Because Matthew also points back to this, and he's in Matthew chapter 1. Here's what he says, verse, one, verse 18 through 23. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to read this for you. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and brothers, let's, let's, let's walk with that for a little bit. Brother Tim, God bless you. Good to see you. Would y'all just stand? These are newlyweds, guys. They just got married right after Thanksgiving and just getting back from their honeymoon. God bless you. Welcome. Now, I raised them up because they were betrothed. And in the process, Joseph is there, and it says he's a just man. But imagine what that would be like. Your fiance, and you, you know, you, you, we, 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 it said before they came together, you know we ain't. How did you, when we didn't, then Joseph, her husband, being a, a just man, not wanting to make her a public example. See, God chose the right father to father his son. 
Because I'm going to tell you, brother, I don't know. I pray. I pray with my sanctified imagination, as they say. I would want to believe that I would have told Sister Toya, we're going to just keep praying about this. I want to believe that. But I don't believe I would. But Joseph, having a special assignment, said he didn't want to make her public uh, display, was mine to put her away secretly. He said, look, I'm going to hide you. Because I don't want the public to shame you. Verse 20 said, but while he thought about these things, because he was still contemplating, Joseph was where I was probably saying, hey, I don't know. But while he was thinking about it, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for, what, for that which she is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, so all of this was done, here it is, that it might fulfill, that it might fulfill what was spoken about the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So yes, yes, birth, childbirth is a miracle. And Jesus' birth was miraculous because it's childbirth. But it was an extraordinary occasion because she was a virgin. Point number two, just as any father has great expectation for their child, God the Father had great expectation for his son. Let's look back at, verse, at, at, at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Look what it says. It says, for unto us a son... A child is born, unto us a son is given. Here it is. And the government will be upon his shoulders. He said, this is, a, this is not just a, a, a normal child. The, 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 gov- the government's going to rest. He's going to be a king. That's what it's saying. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it from, with judgment and justice. From, the time, from that time forward and forever. And the zeal of God shall perform this. Now we need to unpack this because there's, 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 there's four observations we need to make. And one additional one we need, to, we, we need to point out. So let's go back. It says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. There Isaiah is saying, Jesus, or he's speaking to Jesus' lordship or his kingship. Because, understand, in their day as they're, as they're speaking of the government, the government rests with the monarch. 
So the king was the monarch who set the law or governed the land. He would assign others to work under him, but they all reported back to him, and the government was on his shoulder. So here he speaks of Jesus' kingship or his lordship. The next one, we see the multiplicity of his attributes because it says, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Now here's the reality. The pastor said last week, he said, he's the great I am because I am what you need me to be. So we see that he won't just be a one and done. He's a repeat. Because what you need him to be may not be what I need him to be. And what you need him to be may be more than I need from him. But whatever I need, he can supply. So we see the multiplicity of his attributes. Here's another one. Kings had a shelf life. Most of them wanted to live forever. You travel to Egypt, you'll find that these pyramids that were built were large coffins built that they would store that the kings hoped that in the next life he would have all this riches. They would invest in means of trying to prolong life. But this king was the last king because he says of the increase of his government and his peace there will be no end what it was saying is that this king is the king of kings because there are kings that we go back historically and their reign has a start date and an end date but once this king sits on the throne, he's not stepping down. He, he will be there for everlasting to everlasting. Here's one more. So we go from his everlasting reign, and then he says something that draws us into the subject of our lesson today. He says he's going to establish it with justice and judgment. Here's what he's talking about there. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about Jesus' death. Because here it is. The cross is where we see God's judgment and his justice satisfied. So God's judgment, he pronounces that sin is what it is, that, it, that the wages of sin is death, that ultimately Jesus, as he's on the cross dying, he's satisfying the judgment of God that says the wages of sin is death. We see that there in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But we can also understand this when he speaks to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, and he says to him, when you eat of this fruit, 
you disobey me, you will surely die. So we see God's judgment. But we also see his justice. Because the cross is a place where we see most clearly the relationship between God's judgment, which is the condemnation of sin, and the destruction that it creates, but also the righteousness of God being experienced by mankind. Because it is at the cross where we can find redemption. And once we've been redeemed, then we have been justified. And so having been justified through Christ Jesus, we have now peace with God. Because prior to that, we were his enemies. Now we can be drawn in and brought close and be called children of God. Sons and daughters of the Most High. It is the justice and the judgment of God that is accomplished. And he says, and this child is going to establish justice and judgment. And we know he he did that or accomplished that in his death on the cross. Because we've already rehearsed into your hearing before that, that Jesus was, they, they tried to kill him multiple times before the cross. Which is why Paul says, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So I didn't come to be stoned, thrown off a cliff. I came to be lifted up. Because he said, if I even I, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Here's the thing. Write this down. The unjust act against the just and righteous son of God brings the opportunity for redemption for all of mankind. The unjust act against the just and righteous Son of God, it created an opportunity that we might be redeemed through his blood. So here's something that I want you to note. Jesus also testified about his purpose. While Jesus is in his final moments of his trial, he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate is questioning him and inquiring of him. He makes a declaration that speaks back to everything we just shared with you. Turn, if you would, to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 18. I'm almost done. John chapter 18. Because at the end of verse 7, here's what it says. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That God is working in this to accomplish everything that's been said in verse 6 and verse 7. It says God's zeal, God's desire, his will, his purpose is going to be motivated to accomplish this through Christ. And here's what Jesus said in 
John chapter 18, verse 37. I want you to see this because of what Jesus said. He says, listen, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Jesus said, Jesus answered, said, you, you say rightly that I'm a king. He says, for this cause was I born. Let's stop right there. He says, are you a king? Jesus says, you say rightly when you say that I'm a king. He says, and guess what? I was born for this very reason to come and testify to the truth. He says, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So he says, I was born for this very reason, to be the fulfillment of what God had already declared through Isaiah hundreds of years prior. Now let's look at this. Because we understand that Mary was told that she would have this child. She didn't fully understand all that God was saying to her, but she was trying to understand as best she could. What she did know is that she, this idea of having a baby without a husband was a bit foreign to her, but she had to at least accept that this is what God was saying. And there's a song that I want to lift up right now that I hope the lyrics will help to bring this into focus. The song is one that you're going you're gonna to hear. It's going to be in the rotation. If you've already turned your dial to the the, the radio station where the Christmas songs have kicked in. I love this season because you can just turn it on there and you just play all day. But in the rotation, there's one song that's going to be there multiple times by multiple artists. It's, it's actually, it actually has been recorded by a number of famous people. It's called Mary Did You Know. Listen to the lyrics. It says, Mary did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water. Surely as a young mother, she's imagining what his life's going to be like. But walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? And that this child that you will deliver will one day deliver you. Listen to this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know your baby boy would calm the storms with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss this little baby, you are kissing the face of God. Oh, wait a minute. Mary, did you know that your baby boy 
is the Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Mary, did you know that your baby was heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child that you're holding is the great I am. See, the reality that we see here is that Jesus was no ordinary child. And that his birth spoke of a plan that God had for you and for me. Which leads us to the third and final point for today. He would be the king who gives his life. I don't know if you've studied history, but I, I enjoy looking back and reading about kingdoms and and power and how different kings have reigned. And one of the things that I've discovered is that in every history, the one thing the king is most concerned with is preserving his life. There are records of history that speak of kings being nervous about being poisoned. So they had someone that would taste the food that they were going to eat, drink the cup that they were going to drink out of. Now, would you want to be that guy? Hey, brother, come here. Uh, take a little sip of this, and, and let me just see. Now, if you had a humor, if you, if you had a sense of humor, you might go, oh. <coughs> the, path, the king would jump back, oh. I'm just kidding, king. But we understand that every king wanted to preserve his life. However, this king has acknowledged with Pilate that he is a king because verse, verse, verse 37 says, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? He said, Jesus answered, said, you have said rightly that I am a king. Uh -huh. But Pilate was puzzled by this king because we know he accepted what Jesus said because if you slide over to chapter 19 and verse, uh, verse 19, you find that when Pilate had Jesus put up, he had a sign above him that said, the king, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So he, he accepted what he said, even though he was puzzled by his action. Because this king was not trying to preserve. Pilate was actually acting on behalf of Caesar, and his goal was to protect Caesar's interests. So to see a king 
not trying to preserve himself, was puzzling to him. But here's the thing. This king had come not to preserve his life, but to give it. Turn, if you would, while we're in John, run over to chapter 10. I want you to see this. You say, well, pastor, man, you know, give, give me some more stories. I'm giving you some word this week because to, to preach about death, the first sermon in the Christmas season, I said, what's Pastor, what's Pastor Martin doing? We're supposed to be singing, oh, come let us all. And we can. We can break out and sing right now. You want to do that? But I want to establish the fact that this is a legitimate focus for us as believers because of what we see here. Chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, look what it says. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay my life down that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down and I got power to pick it back up. This is the command I received from my father. So we understand that Jesus understood his mission. That even though he was a king, he wasn't here to preserve his life. He was here to give his life. We see the indication that he was given his life because he didn't mount a defense. He didn't mount a defense. In Matthew chapter, you don't have to turn there, but just, re, just hear this. But note this, Matthew chapter 27, verse 11 through 14. Here's what it says. Now Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, are you a king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things that they're testifying against you? But he answered him not one word. So the governor marveled greatly. Pilate said, what kind of? You just said you're a king. These people are making these accusations, and you have nothing to say? Remember, because he was there to testify to the truth. Because in Isaiah 53, verse 7, here's what it said. He was oppressed. And we, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. For he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears in silence. He opened not his mouth. Stood there just completing his mission. Here's another one. So we understand that when Pilate is saying to him, are you a king? He says, yes, I am. So Pilate is expected for him to preserve himself. He says nothing. Then he says this. At the very end of that verse 37 of chapter 18, he says, and everyone who is of the truth, they hear my voice. They understand what I'm saying. They understand why I'm not putting up a defense. Here's one last thing. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 through 6, leading up to that verse 7, here's what it says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But here's what he was doing. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Why did he have to do this? Because all we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The beauty and the blessing of Christmas is this, that Jesus was born that he might live and prove who he was, but that he would die for your sins. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us, or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.